Hello, and welcome to Worthy Watchers Weekly, the weekly podcast where we go in depth, deep, on anything within the motion art medium. Anything. (laughs) Everything. Everything. Movies, animation, etc. It is all game here. I am your host today, Ransom Tyson, joined by Anthony Tyson, who may or may not be related to me. Yeah, yeah, loose relation. Yeah, we always joke about the hair color, but you see it in the face, right? Yeah. Also, ah. also, so some of our vocal mannerisms are very similar. The vocal mannerisms, yeah, they what? are. They are pretty similar. Movie references. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Nice. Well, um, as you might have guessed, we are talking about Peaky Blinders season. Four. Ooh. Episodes one through three. Um, the, this this uh, season, I got to say, does go off the fucking chain. Um, I mean, wow. Yeah, it's like it doesn't even like worry about a buildup. It's just like, yep, we're here now. Yeah. So let's let's talk about it. Episode to episode. Let's go. Woo. Um, episode one begins with seeing the four arrested previous season being taken to hang. We see a scene where a member of the court is discussing with the judge that Shelby has proof of a larger conspiracy and will let it out to the public if they do not free his family. They are freed right before lever pulls. Literally like seconds. Literally, before, yeah. like, like they were having images of the angels kind of ready for death. Yeah, like they were they were seeing spirits. Yeah. Well, one of them for sure. Yeah. A few days before Christmas in 1925, Tommy and Lizzie are discussing an invitation to John's in which Tommy is reluctant. Michael discusses with Tommy that factory process has slowed down because of the wire cutters union led by Jesse Eden. Thomas meets with Jesse Eden, who discussed the pay disparities in his factories, gives her an ultimatum in which she threatens to put workers out on strike. When returning home and reading his mail, he finds a letter that is written from Luca Changretta with a black hand, in which we also see each member get a similar letter looking like this. Uh, after spreading the word around to the family, Thomas hears from his maid that the chef and sous chef are both Italian, hired from October, mm. and he kills the assassin. One would call that a red flag. Uh, Yes, uh, Shelby's decide to return to Small Heath. Well, uh, Thomas decides that they're all <laughs> forced pretty much, but that's fine. Yeah. yeah, um, Michael goes to collect John and Esme, and as they fight about going to the meeting, they are ambushed, and both Michael and John are shot. Yeah, so Anthony, what what did you think about that episode? Well, I'll just straight up say this. I don't I don't think it's spoilers since you've watched these with us to say, you know, like right. rest in peace, John. Yeah. Um, and you besides he took like he took all the bullets there for Michael on that one. Like, well, Pretty except much. for two, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy opening, first off, with the nooses. Like that, you know, we talked about it with Thomas um before in the war. And then once again in season three, wherein he gets really fucking close to, to getting got 
um, being that close to death changes you, right? Mm-hmm. And it kind of desensitizes you. And now we've got more members of the family experiencing that one in particular um, being uh, Polly, right? And it really does uh, affect her and shapes her in a different way. And we're going to see how much that changes in the second episode too, um, because it's like she experienced close death for herself and then she will have experienced personal loss again so close to her. And I think that shapes her perspective very cutting you know, very, very cuttingly. Um, then, oh, by the way, this was the greatest cut of all time. Um, we get a shot back to, um, or no, this actually is not what I'm thinking. I'm sorry. We get a cut to an incredibly jaded Shelby, you know, as he enters in that uh, building, you know, he's got like the kind of like the palm, the like the please, um, I have some more sir, person outside he just fucking dumps the change in there, keeps on walking. He's a businessman now. It's and he is so jaded. He's yeah. so fucking jaded. Seeing him with um Lizzie just talking about like how he's gonna have another whiskey and sour and fuck some other random person and pay them to do it. It's just like it's all business now with him, and yeah. it is it is odd, you know, like he was always ambitious and he always did have a business plan, so to speak, but it was never so cut and dry without any emotion. And now he's just completely devoid of it. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of crazy to see Polly waking up and looking totally despondent, seeing like that picture frame of the person in there, like in the wheel. I thought that was a really interesting way to, uh, help showcase her like kind of descent into it kind of seems like no, I don't want to say it's madness necessarily. It's more like despair, you know, yeah. and not and not having any ties to reality, like to your physical self. Mm-hmm. Um, Arthur with his kid was wholesome. I loved seeing him with his kid on the farm. I'm like, this is exactly what we were hoping for with Arthur and considering the end of season three, it's very nice to at least see someone really get out on top. Same thing with John here as well. Yeah. Um, the union rep. Oh, my God. Baller. That scene with her and uh, Shelby uh, was great, especially because she was introduced by like getting ready in the men's room, which was yeah. a huge topic of the time. Right. There were no ladies rooms. And she makes that abundantly clear to the uh, fucking man in there, right? Like, oh, I'd say. What are you doing here? Yeah, I say, good lady. Fuck you, man. And then the whole sweetheart my ass kind of thing, I'm like, okay, now Shelby's turned into a sexist asshole on top of it all. Like, he always had it a little bit, but now it's like, I'm a man and a man is a man. Like, I'm like, what did we do with this? old Shelby where did the old Shelby go like it's like dude Thomas fucking a um also nothing like a threat to get the family back together again right you know it's always the equalizer in war and in family it seems right yeah uh it was nice seeing Thomas being affectionate to his son despite all of these previous scenes though it is a reminder that despite how jaded he is him still doing that extra effort to try and put out this semblance of childhood for his son is a reminder that he's not totally beyond 
a sense of redemption or heart, if you will, um, mm -hmm. even though he's cold with everyone else. So I, I like that, you know. Um, Thomas getting bloody again after killing the assassin. And, yep, uh, you can't take away the Shelby, right? Even though he's in a fucking house now, big and bad. Uh, yeah, definitely a reminder that despite the glamour and money, money, he's still ruthless as fuck. And then, of course, literally, I was like writing out like, oh, this seems like a dream sequence. And then I'm like, ah, John Michael, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. wild, man. It's fucking wild. I, uh, yeah, it's like I said, like a lot of this, this episode is just like placing you in the moment for the family and for Thomas. Right. And yeah. I think any type of shell shock you feel is associated to that fact. Like, Oh wow. We are in a different time now with these people. Yeah. It, yeah. It's it like, and the, the funny thing is too, it's, it's a year, you know, compared to the two years um, that we've typically um, gone to, to see change. What was it? What, what, what was last, last season was 24. Yeah. So it, it starts in, in 1920 first season, right? Second season is 22. I remember that. Um, and then third season is 24 this year. Wow. It starts Christmas of 1925 that was 24 okay see yeah i didn't feel the time jump at all even on 24 this one i feel though like for yeah. a year it feels like a totally different climate and i think that's because of the shelby we see now and his association with his family which before had yeah. been so strong yeah that that kind of isolation can really take take a toll totally i mean and in a post-covid world i mean we all know that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, not even post COVID. It's still COVID. Fuck. True. True. Yeah. True. True. Yeah. Um, so episode two, mm. um, Arthur and Tommy look upon John and recite in the bleak midwinter as, as may barges in and curses them, tells John's body. She'll take the children on the road and leave behind the, the, this toxic family um family agrees to peace uh polly agrees to a truce and so they move on with the plans for the war against Changretta. at johnny's funeral at john's funeral tom uses it as a trap for Fucking Adirama gold bait. yeah uh to kill the italian assassins yeah <laughs> Just going out at it. Yeah. What is it? Amaretto uh, money or something like that? What is it? What is his name? Abarama gold. Abarama gold. Okay. Yeah. Amaretta money. I don't know how I got that. Amaretta Amaretta gold. Gold. That's that's his rap name. His <laughs> yeah. Yes, totally. I could see him doing that actually. Yeah. Um, Michael tells Polly he'll board the boat to Australia once they end what started. Abarama Gold asks Thomas to train his son up to be a boxer, and Tommy decides to take him on to make money. Um, after his wicked fight <laughs> with the heavyweight champ, dude, um, he fucking annihilates that dude. And yeah. am I crazy? Wasn't there some like famous boxer in like England around this time too? Like, wasn't that like they're a big deal guy and he came out of nowhere? Like, is that them inserting this storyline here? Or maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm thinking of America. I don't know. Maybe. 
I'm not sure. I'll have to look into it. Yeah. Um, uh, Inspector Moss uh, visits Linda and tells her that London military suspect Ada to be organizing communist parties and to tell her to watch the fuck out. I thought this was odd because, like, it seemed like he was threatening but not threatening. In this scene, I'm like, where is he going with this? I think he was just like, look, there's nothing that I'm going to do, so you better fucking do something if you want to care about your family. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, May Carlton returns to train Tommy's horse. I literally said in my notes, I'm like, horse lady, she's back, <laughs> but for like two seconds and she doesn't have any interaction with Thomas. I know. It makes me sad. I know. Um, but uh, Tommy has another conversation with Jesse Eden, uh, who sends everyone out on strike, leaving Tommy in a meeting with Luca Cengreta. This was an amazing scene. I have much to say about this. Who promises to kill him last. Yeah. Um, what did you think about that? I mean, all of the episode? Yeah. Dude, like, I mean, just starting out that opening song um, for the episode is is incredible, incredible, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Especially given the cuts with Michael, John, Esme, Tommy. And then remember, like during this, right, it starts with him like looking out a window and you don't realize that they make this almost one sequence because you see the the scene of Arthur and Shelby reciting the bleak midwinter. And then it cuts back to him in the window and you're like, wait a minute. So that already happened. And, and it's moments like that, that really help for like fuel your engagement as a viewer in what's going on. I really love the way they tell these things. So now all of that was point of view perspective for Thomas remembering all of these things, which also helps establish his psyche and his feelings in this because it's easy for someone not paying attention to think that Thomas is heartless, right? That's not entirely the case. He's rediscovering that sensitivity, I think here, which is cool. Um, Hearing the story about their time in the war during uh, John's funeral, that was bait uh, instantly took me back to season one, especially when they start mentioning Danny Wisbang, like, Man, it's just like, it's a reminder, like, wow, they were a unit. Like, that's what this was. And, you know, you never really realized that backstory of them thinking about all this time as extra, but it makes total sense with the reckless abandon that always seems to fuel Tom Thomas at any given uh, moment, right? You know, he always just keeps moving forward. And this does set a different tone in, inside of understanding his psyche as to why that is. Like, we didn't know about this before, but that's a great addition. So, yeah. love that. Um, also, during the funeral, right, I'm, like, typing this out. Holy shit, is that fucking little finger? <laughs> <laughs> because, literally, the camera cuts, and it's, like, these dudes are, like, gearing up to shoot them down at the funeral. And then, all of a sudden, the camera, like, has a weird pan, and it like kind of does this rotate thing. And then you see point of view from the dude about to get stabbed little finger actor, right. Coming in with that. 
you know, yeah. knife. And it's like, whoa, Aiden Jesus Gillen. Christ, man. That's yeah. an introduction. Um, so yeah, and it's crazy, obviously, that not only are we working with people like this now that are just willing to just go right for the 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 jugular, so to speak, but using his own brother's funeral as bait. That's we're we're back to Tommy, like, and this is how we fight war. Yeah. And I like how there was a gas gasp from a lot of the people that didn't have the association with war than the people who did. Like the people who did were like, yeah, this is totally fine. And then the other people that didn't were like, what? Yeah. It's like you can only follow so many rules until you start to break them in order to win. Yeah. I'm interested to see how that develops. Uh, Mr. Gold's fucking crazy. Obviously, you can tell he could be a problem, but I wrote that before in the scene where they were about to do the coin flip before we get to uh, Polly just really getting at a conversation about feeling free now that she's faced with death and she gives away that perspective to Tommy again, right? We see Polly take that leadership role where it's like, you know what? This is what you should do. This is what you should do. This is what you do. And Tommy's like, fuck, those are all great points, right? And he listens. Um, and, and this is important too, because again, we're seeing this sexist Tommy, right? Beforehand, Polly reinserting herself in the company, in his mind, in their family. It reminds him, I think that it's like, oh, wow. Why do I think like this? You know? Yeah. So that's good. Um, yeah. Holy shit. Horse lady back. I wrote that out. <laughs> um, I love the union rep. Every single time she comes into a scene, it's just like she has no fear, right? She comes in there and I, I love how she kind of calls him out. She's like, wait a minute, you want this to happen? And he's like, fuck it. Yeah. Why not? Let's create some chaos. And she's yeah. like, okay. So she goes out there, blows the whistle and they get a, they get a, a strike in, you know, I love it. And then that following into this incredible, like, conversation between two people that are expert bullshitters and understand how bullshitting works right like you get the feeling that this is a different man than all of the main antagonists from previous seasons right you get the feeling like this is a man that is like tommy that is engaged with what the real world is and how the real world functions. He's not pretentious. He's not coming from a society position. He's not coming from a, a arrogant gambler position, um, a godly position or a political position. This is a man who is literally one in the same, a mirror image of himself, yeah. which creates the best type of antagonist, right? And I, mm-hmm. I love that he just starts like, knocking down that bullet right for for uh john right as he lays out the bullets that was an intense scene and you can get the sense that every time tommy thinks that he's kind of like in a position of like power or strength and this conversation though he does his best to hide it that expert cillian murphy acting you can see that there's another layer there that he's like oh fuck and man adrian Bodie, brody like 
I didn't realize we were going to go full like Brando here, but it's so yeah. good. It's yeah. so good. It's thick and it is on purpose, but in the best way. Yeah. Like, I'm like, okay, uh, I want to go watch the Godfather again. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I love that they brought in Adrian Brody. Like, yeah, do you want to pontificate a little bit on that scene for me here too? Cause I feel like you have some stuff you want to say to that. Oh yeah. I mean like the way in which he acted out too, of like making these just like small little gestures, but making them so significant. Right. Like, like even just like getting like a little bit more situated in the chair, like just the way that he does it slowly as if like you don't know what he's gonna do next. Like, every uh, every action, like you said, has intent behind it, and I love the way they explained the whole like black hand thing. Like at first, it does seem weird. Like why wouldn't you just go over there and kill him? And he's like, no, it's because we do business like this. This is yeah. how we fight. This is our honor. Yeah. So he, and he wants ready you to, to be die. scared. Yeah, and he and he wants you to feel it. He wants you to feel that. And I I like how they re-explain and re-examine the very idea of what a vendetta is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that just makes me think of V for vendetta, but in a totally different way. I I just I love this shit here. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, it's great. It's really great. Yeah. And he has lines that should be cheesy, but they never are. They never are. And it's shocking to me. And especially in the third episode, the very last line he says in the whole episode, that should be cheesy as fuck, but it wasn't. It was threatening and ominous. And it's amazing. It's because Adrian Brody is such a good actor. Yeah. Who knew Who knew somebody chomping on a toothpick would actually be cool again? You're like, oh man, I want to go chomp on a toothpick now. Yeah. I love it. Oh God. Yeah. Um, let's see. So episode three, um, Polly is brought back into the company. Um, they wait for Arthur, but he gets tied up by Linda, uh, revolutionists, then an ambush. Um, <laughs> that was a busy day for Arthur. <laughs> a very busy day for Arthur. Yeah. Um, Arthur insists that he n- not Abarama 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 Amaretta money Amaretta <laughs> <laughs> money. Uh, he insists that he not Abarama will uh, kill Luca. He insists Luca Guadagnino. Um, no, I'm kidding. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Tommy has a conversation with Jesse Eden at her home, in which she reveals her knowledge of Tommy before the war and his feelings for a Gina Jirasi, uh before he went off to the war, which was actually like a really beautiful little um, <sighs> exposition moment. I, yeah. Again, it's like, you know, the show constantly does that struggle between like, Hey, re-examine Thomas. Yeah. I love it. Uh, he leaves the photograph for Jesse to look over and she burns it. Um Arthur fires the bullet meant for Luca into the ground after some convincing. It is the modern way. <laughs> it's the modern way, Tom. It's the modern way, Tom. L- Linda says it's the modern way. Linda, Linda says. Yeah. Linda says. <laughs> um, 
Tommy and Lizzie go to a river area and Tommy reminisces about Gina, but he promises Lizzie that he's thinking of her. Um, Tommy tells Lizzie he wants to increase percentage of charities and wants her to manage charities for impoverished children. Um, Polly goes for a drink and a deal with Luca Changreta <sighs> for him to kill Tommy and spare the rest. Yeah, man. Uh, is it a ploy? We don't know. Like, you know, and we mentioned it. Um, I'll, I'll just go ahead and talk about that scene first because it's just on our mind right now. That line from the bartender when she walks up is just fucking rich. Like, oh, you can't have, you can't be here without mad. And then she's like, what does it look like? And then yeah. the bartender's like, hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah, Chuck's out. Uh, I just, we don't know if it's a ploy. And the reason why is because you didn't think about it at the time, of course, but truce, that's a very specific word choice, right? from her in that scene when they were asking when Thomas was like asserting, are we going to be peace? Or are we going to be at war with ourselves? Right. We got to have peace here so we can fight the war out there. And she was the only one that said truce. It's very specific and intentful on top of that. She's literally been having like psycho dreams beforehand about Thomas fucking up her life. Like as if he's a demon, right? So what Polly are we getting now? Yeah. I don't know. And that's what makes this great. And that's what makes it believable on both sides of the coin for if it is a ploy and if it isn't. And if it isn't a ploy because she's so good at convincing Changretta that it's real. Right. And I do also love the line from Changretta that he's like, well, you're dancing with me now, you know, (laughs) whether you know it or not. And that's a line too, that implies that even he has, an angle that he's going to explore here, whether it's real or not. I just, I, I love that shit, man. We are in a crime drama this season and it is, it is yeah. intense. Yeah. Um, so going back, uh, strike was a perfect segue to getting us to this setting for this episode. Um, really great start to the beginning. Um, you know, Michael's adopted mother arriving again. It's easy to forget this, um, that she was there and then she's was his mother. And it's very sweet to to know that, like, despite what she thinks of Peaky Blinders and like maybe her role in society and everything, she's still a mother to this boy, right? Mm-hmm. To this man. And she's gonna care for him, even if she's he's done things that she wouldn't agree with. And that's powerful to me. That really shows you that she cared about him. You know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't like a a thing for her to exploit or take advantage of. She just wants to love him. And that was pure. And that's really nice. Um, the kills. Dude. Perfect for Polly in that scene. When she's walking out there with, uh, uh, I'm loyal, Daniel. God, I love that song, yeah. man. It was. It's a perfect usage for the declaration for how she will conduct herself. She will not be told how to behave. She will do as she pleases, and I love it. Fuck yeah, Polly, get it, girl. Part of a dog. Yeah, get it, girl. Um, 
And then shit, I literally, I was like about to type something in about, I think like the workers and how like Arthur's like, oh, he's nice now to the worker, even though he kind of hates his ass and wants to beat him up. He let him go. He didn't act, like, he didn't totally beat his ass down. And then all of a sudden the Italians walk in I'm like, shit, fucking Italians. And then him taking out that dude by drowning him is fucking intense. It's a reminder that this is war now. This is war now. And it's the one that they fight in the trenches. It, that's that's what that reminds me of. It's like, I'm going to use whatever's around me to win and get the advantage and to survive, right? It's brutal and it's intense. It's not pretty. Yeah. Yeah, it's not cut and dry. I love that. Um, I also really appreciated the line from the, or the scene with the shift manager standing up to Shelby and speaking plainly. Yes. This, this common man coming up and just being like, look, Here's what I'm seeing. And here's like what, like me telling you what I'm doing. Um, It's one of the most honorable things I've seen in this whole show, actually. Like just a simple man that's wanting to care about his family. That's just trying to do the right thing and trying to be honest. Right. And speaking plainly. And I think Shelby appreciates it, even though he can't like let him go and let him do the things that he needs to do. And it's a reminder that like Shelby has self-hatred here for himself. He used to be this person and he just can't help going. Like he just can't help, but move forward. Right. Every time Um, the union leader again, coming in the story about his time before the war and how she used that as a way to get underneath his skin, but in this unique way, because it was like, it was coming off as this aggressive act. And then to see Shelby take it also as a reminder of something he's forgotten that yeah. gets followed up in the later scene with Lizzie in which he tries to do a holistic nostalgia. That's the funny thing about nostalgia. It's such a powerful tool. Um, and it kind of, it kind of really takes over a lot of our actions and our feelings in the moment. And you can see how it can be used poorly and holistically. to help you do something good. And all that's that matters is how you look at it in the moment and how you move forward from it. Um, I think the scene with Lizzie is one of the examples of Lizzie being a conduit for something, not being used necessarily, but definitely being a way to get at another thing that Shelby was feeling at the time. He didn't, he didn't do anything that was like, I'm going to pay you that. So that was one of the problems in the past, right? He would always pay her for these acts and, you know, Lizzie would feel degraded from it. This was him reaching out and Lizzie accepted it. This was a choice that they both did together. And Lizzie is given something that she can control and she can own out of it. And that's also very holistic as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, I found this scene to be actually quite beautiful, like on multiple levels, like the tying back to his love that he lost, the love for himself, the love for his community. Birmingham, you see it even in Miss Godly, uh, wow, Arthur's wife. Why am I forgetting her name? Linda. Linda. You see it even in Linda. Birmingham reveals the true self of all of these people. Yeah. They were living in a outside world pretension 
uh, fakeness, right? They come back to Birmingham and they're back to their true selves. They have to be reunited with looking at themselves back in the mirror again and accepting the reality of, of what the world is, even though they've thought to have left it. They can't, right? And, you know, I think that this for him was a moment where maybe we are starting to get back the Thomas Shelby that we fell in love with back in season one, you know? So I'm hopeful for that. We'll see. Um, yeah, I just, I, I really love that. Uh, what a great episode. What a, what a great episode. It's like, that is a, that is a top tier, like level episode, like yeah. great cuts, great action, great delivery. Just, man, the show is just knocking it out of the park, man. I just, I can't even get over it. So yeah. good. I, I love that this season um, uses an antagonist to get back to roots, you know, like, well, it, like I said, like a war brings people together for better or for worse. Yeah. And it will, and it, 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 it expands and, and moves them forward while also like bringing them back to like a, a grounded place. Like I, the way in which they, they, plan the story out i think was fucking incredible what and speaking of things coming back around i love that the italians are now looking at ways to exploit their past antagonists that they've hurt along the way and that's interesting that they're going to go back to the woman who lost her son in that in that fight with arthur And now they're going to use that as a leverage and an advantage and to see if they can manipulate the situation to their advantage. It's very interesting. Like we are dealing with the detritus of the wake of war that the Peaky Blinders have waged on society. And now we get to see all of those elements coming back up into the fold again. And we have to deal with it every single one and everything has a cost. And it feels, it feels like it has weight. Yeah, a very reap what you sow story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and wasn't it uh oh god, wasn't there a song too that was very much like uh or maybe it was a line from Changretta um where it was like uh you or you fight by the you you fight with the sword, you die by the sword kind of thing. You live by the sword, you fight, you die by the sword. I felt like there was a song here that made me think of that a lot, but I can't think of which one. There's, um, maybe we'd have uh, to look into it, but regardless that is put into me, like into like the core of what I'm feeling when I'm watching this season. And I, I, I like that they're doing that. Oh Yeah. Oh no, there there was a line that was you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Um, that was in like the f- first episode, I think. Yeah. Um, that it was something that Johnny Dogs said, I think. Maybe. Um oh, I do also Johnny Dogs, by the way, he's better than ever. We haven't talked about him enough. He's better than yeah. ever. All the side characters, yeah. like you said, Ransom, are all really great. I wish they had even more time than they do have and it is great that they have time i'm just i i love how he's like ah yep back to the old thomas shelby like in the the first episode he's just like yep you couldn't get the gypsy out of you <laughs> like, yeah i love it jesus you're a wild I, child 
I love the the um uh where like the whole time he's talking about uh Am- Abirama Gold and his crew being savages and then he's like they're making like a feast in the stockyard. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and he's like potatoes. What the fuck potatoes? <laughs> Yeah. I like, want him to know that we we're not doing things the wrong way. Yeah, and he's like, I'll get I'll get the damn potatoes myself. You're like a married couple. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so good. Yeah. Uh, I love those those little moments that you get in this uh, this show. Really, yeah. just make it. Um, so, talking about characters, let's talk about the new characters and returning characters. Oof, real Jesus. quick. I feel like right. there's a shit ton. Yeah. So, um, let's see. So, as far as returning characters, we've got Mae Carlton. She comes back for a little bit. I think she is also in another episode this season. But it is a little brief. You uh, kind of wish they did more with her character right now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Thank you for setting that in my mind so that I don't get disappointed. Appreciate yeah. it. Um, and then we also have um, uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah come back. Jeremiah and, oh yes. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like that episode when they were at the funeral, it did remind me of season one so much because they had the unit there. Well, what was left of it, you know? Yeah. Uh, love that. Yeah. Um, and then we have... The new face um, that is uh, on the side of, of the Shelby family, Abirama Gold, played by Aiden Gillen. Dude, uh, yeah. We all famously know as Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. Or uh, or as the uh, person who gets taken out, the fire rises. <laughs> oh, yes. 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 <laughs> I forget about that in uh, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. A little, little bit there. Yeah, he's like, um, what if I take off this mask? Yeah, well, and I, I, I think uh, there is a little interaction um, this season between him we, and. Are we gonna get Tom Hardy again? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Go. Cool. Um. Yeah, it's a good, good moment. Um, we have uh, the big contenders in the story. We've got Jesse Eden, played by Charlie Murphy, um, a unionizer antagonizing Thomas in order to settle pay disparities. Yeah, she's um, sick. I love her. Yeah, I also looked it up. I was like, are they related? Apparently, you start typing it in, and so many people have looked this up, but they are not related. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, they're not. Um and then we have the the big antagonist of, of it all this season. We've got Luca Changreta, played by Adrian Brody. Oh man, he like we have had so many great antagonists throughout these seasons. And man, for Adrian Brody to come in and almost supplant them all, very excellent. Like love it. Yeah. There, there's gonna be some some even better moments with him. I can't wait. I can't wait. Second half, yeah. Um, 
but as far as like big contenders in the story um there's not many because yeah i think this story uh this season really is focusing on the family i think that's really cool um but let's let's talk about our wrap-up discussions here for this first half um anthony what is the end goal for the peaky blinders survive how how do you think they'll they'll uh achieve that well you know we kind of see it already like the idea is to go back to the roots go back to birmingham it's a it's a tactful move from thomas for two reasons like they said um the obvious one was the manpower right like they own that city so of course they can trust the majority of people within it and it's also i think something that thomas didn't directly say but is a secondary benefit that maybe he thought about I mean, yeah, it's going back to your roots. This is where they grew up. This is their home. And going back to home also helps get rid of a lot of the bad blood and family dynamics they had before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So right now he's going to leverage on people he uh, can buy out and people that he can trust. The question is, is he going to let money dictate his actions too much or he is he going to learn to really lead with the people that are closest in his life because he's going to get stuck in a position where like these very same people on the opposite side, they will use their resources as well. You can't, you can't fight a resources game with an organization that's outside of London and has many different pockets to choose from. True. True. Um, what, um, I'll, I'll add this this little little question in there. Um, which which are you more thinking? Um, are you leaning more that um, Polly is um, putting this as a ploy, or are you more on the side of her actually wanting Thomas dead? For once, I don't know. And and the reason why I'm like I'm really trying to be careful with this is because. At first, I was like, oh, man, what a game, what an expert ploy. But then I thought about the scenes beforehand. They have implanted a concept here that maybe she is seeking to go to use him just like he used her and other members of their family. So if everything is permitted now, that line that got crossed got crossed. Can't she do the same? After all, she is a free woman now. She's free of all tethers, right? You know, coming back from life again, everything's extra. So I don't know. I don't know. They've really done a great job at making it a question mark. Um, My honest belief from how we talked about in the third season when Polly was kind of the hope for a new family, I think Polly is using this as a ploy because I think they will return Polly back to the good Shelby, like the Shelby that's like, you know what? I could have done that, but guess what? I showed you a better way and I proved that there's a better way. And I think she's going to do that here. All right. All right. Um, what is, what is Sherry? What is Tommy sharing with his family? I mean, right now i don't think there's anything he can't share like for once i think he's forced in a position where like it's blatantly obvious 
these people are after us. They're going to kill us and we need to fucking do battle. The question mark is like, where are his ethical lines? They, he obviously didn't share his plan for the funeral. Right. Which is another thing that maybe, um, Polly's thinking about the back of her head. So uh, yeah, right now, I think there's a difference between like moment to moment tactics versus overarching plan. Everybody's in on the overarching plan. They just don't know what Thomas will do from day to day. And I don't think Thomas knows that either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who, who should, should come out on top? Who is, who's the MVP? Who would you like to see? Um, Polly. Mm-hmm. I'm team Polly all the way. I've been team Polly since season one. I love Polly so much. Um, I can't wait to see what we're doing with her character this season, where it goes. Um, I think, I think the, she's going to show that she might be the most ingenious Shelby here. And I'm looking forward to it. Yes. Yes. Um, lastly, any final respects, any spit on grounds? Fuck man. John, like, goddamn, you know, it sucks. Um, we were talking about it before the cast. It sounds like the actor also had a good timing in the sense of like, maybe this was a right time to part on him outside of the show. But even inside the show, um, you feel his death because it gives this whole season weight because an untouchable, one of the core Shelby members was shot. You know, Um, that is a way to insinuate intensity into your plot, right? But it is a shame because John was like, I feel like John was the most honest out of all of the Shelby's he was always trying to be a family man for his family outside of the Shelby's and for his brothers. Mm -hmm. And he never wanted to do anything that would make him look bad as a father to his children um, and to his family already. So I think he was a real one, you know? Oh yeah. So him going out, especially on the doorstep of his family home is very cutting and very telling of who he was. Spit on the grave. I don't know. That dude that got fucking butchered in the butcher. Like, dude, man, he went out. Like, he got screwed. And I think, I think uh, Luca wanted him there to do that on purpose. I think Luca expected him to die. So he looked like one of those like smug assholes that you send like on a murder mission, like if he succeeds, great. If he doesn't, eh, I'm expecting it. It's a message. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so yeah. Uh, yeah. Spit on the grave of that guy. Nice. Nice. Um, oh, also I, there was a scene that we didn't talk about that we should have talked about more. Um, oh, Michael and Polly, where Michael's like you and, um, you and Tommy need each other. Yes. Yeah. Um, that is a good point. Um, especially with the context of the main conversation we've been talking about is Polly legit or not. And uh, yeah, that's a good point. I think, I think she w- received it well because later on she takes that advice. I know it was a little broken up for when she takes the turn, but when she embraces that and talks to Shelby fully, Shelby listens 
And I think Polly noticed that. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great conversation and I'm glad that Michael is now also a little bit like his mom in that yeah. sense. He's perceptive. Yes. Yeah. But also dealing with um, being from two families. Yeah. Well, and I look forward to seeing where his stepmother comes back into the play again. Uh, I'm glad that the writers didn't forget his other family. All right. Well, I think that about wraps up our discussion today, but conversation isn't over yet. Got to find out what happens to the Shelby family. Question, though. Oh. Next week is a week after the final episode of season four, part two, Attack on Titan. That's right. That's right. So kind of. Are we coming back into it? Are we doing that mega cast we were thinking about, Ransom? Should, should we uh take take a hold off peaky blinders for a week i mean it would it would draw out the suspense as well let it sit all right let's do it cool all right well next week look forward to essentially what will be a giant cast because if it's anything like the episode that we tried to do and got destroyed because of me um it's gonna be a long conversation and it's it's so funny. Like we were talking about when we were really getting into like, I think it was season two, one of those episodes, like watching this right from Attack on Titan. It's interesting that this is a conversation that's so similar, yet told in a separate different way. I love that, you know? Yeah. So I think oh, it ties in beautifully into like these themes we're discussing. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. hey, uh, let us know what you think of Peaky Blinders and let us know what you think of Attack on Titan because we'll be talking about that next week. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. Give us all your hype, you know? Um, you can give us all your hype at our social media pages at Worthy Watchers and at our email, worthywatchers at gmail.com. Please leave a review on your favorite podcast app and let your friends know where to find us. We'll see you on the next Worthy Watchers Weekly. See you then.